0: first lesson this morning comes from the book of Isaiah in the 50th chapter. Let us listen that we may hear the word of the Lord. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord has, taught, has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheek to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide the face from insults and spitting. The Lord God helped me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me. Who will declare me guilty? The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
1: I invite those who are able to please stand for our second lesson. It comes from Luke's Gospel. His account of the triumphal entry, listen now, to the Word of God. After Jesus had said this, He went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when He had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, He sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it, found it, as he had told them. And they were untying the colt and its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. And then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Order your disciples to stop. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Imagine with me a summer camp. Lots of elementary and um, junior high and maybe even high school age students are there and they're all served by wonderful camp counselors. Picture with me a particular camp counselor. The freshman year has passed and he is working and enjoying his work that summer. Now, as I first heard the story, it is a young man, but if it helps you to think of a young woman, I invite you to do that. Our person in question is a little bit of a mischievous streak, good-natured, though uh, naughty, not nasty, people would say. Truly, this person is earnest and thoughtful and reflective, essentially what we would call a good kid. As I said, the freshman year has passed. the sophomore year is on the horizon, and he is looking for that focus, that purpose of life, all part of the stage of, of his life, and also figuring out his faith. He has a chance one night to have a chat with a supervisor, who is at the age of 19, is considered very old, to be 30. I remember those days anyway he's talking with the, uh, the supervisor and just being honest about his struggles with his faith. He's not anti-Christian per se. He's just left pondering, does it promise too much? It seems to be one joyful, happy thing after another, and yet life doesn't always work that way. Does it promise too much? I first heard that story relayed in a sermon over 20 years ago, and it has haunted me over these years. Several weeks ago, I learned, knew what the preaching schedule was going to be, and I knew I had Palm Sunday, and that story came to mind. We have just completed a series in the wilderness, and so I asked recently, so is there a particular sign, scriptures, or am I on my own? And I was told, you're on your own. Well, when in doubt, a pastor will often go to the lectionary. I've referenced it, you've heard it referenced before. It's a three-year cycle that scholars have prepared with a lesson from the Gospels and a psalm, an epistle, an Old Testament reading. And really, I would say for us, for the folks next door, maybe across the street, Uh, when in doubt, go to the lectionary. Okay, some PKs out there know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And so I did just that, looked at what was assigned today with a question in the back of my mind about this young man and began to take on the task like I was investigating something, like I was doing a research paper. And to look at Palm Sunday with all the highs and lows and the whys involved. Now, I have to first start with my own gut reaction to Palm Sunday. And it's actually very good. I go back to being four years old. I'm at First Presbyterian Church, Charlotte. We are in the Sunday school room. And a gentleman in the church has taken off his suit jacket, though he's in his suit, but took off the coat and gotten down on all fours. And one by one, each four-year-old child gets to ride on his back. Down a path he goes, and the rest of us say, Hosanna, Hosanna. Takes off a child, puts another one on his back, and goes back the other way. I don't know how really long it was. I'm four. You know, everything is long then. It may have been just the distance of that pew, but I can still remember sitting on his back. And everybody, it was my turn saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. I've got a very positive, upbeat uh, perspective on it. And we reinforce that today here uh, with the palms. I went back and looked at the gospel reading for today, as well as the other accounts. Now, if you've ever asked somebody who's been to a wedding or a basketball game to give you a short rundown on what happened if you ask four people or at the same event, you're going to get some common points, but you're also going to get a different emphasis and some details. One detail will stand out with this person. One thing will stand out with another, and it's the same with the Gospels. Matthew and Mark mention the use of branches. John specifically states that they were palm branches, a symbol of royalty but only John says that. And I I believe there were poems, but that's the only gospel that tells us that detail. Luke's gospel doesn't mention branches at all. That detail was not that important to him. Matthew, Mark, and John all state that the crowd shouted, Hosanna. But in Luke's account, they don't. They cheer on Jesus, but they don't use that key phrase, a phrase saying, Lord, save us. Luke gives us a very discreet entry. No palms or branches, no hosannas are shouted. And Luke emphasizes the role of the disciples as part of the crowd. Now, Jesus had the 12, but he had others who followed him at one point In the Gospels, he sends out 70 on a mission. So he may have had at various times up to maybe 100 or so folks just hanging out with him. So this could have been a a large crowd of, say, 100 people that were doing the cheering. And maybe others, I'm inferring from Luke, just kind of saw a little gathering and decided to be a part of it. Years ago, we were in uh, New Orleans for the Tuba festival. And uh, that was a time when my son was particularly interested in tubas. And we were visiting and uh, learned this was going on. And so over to New Orleans, we went. And as part of this tuba festival, there was a small little parade around Jackson Square. And so little fella on my shoulders and we joined the parade. It's New Orleans. You can do that. Just be careful. You may be in a funeral the next thing you know. It wasn't a funeral, it was a tuba parade. And so we just joined along. The tuba disciples had planned this and had done it, and uh, they you know, had people leading it. But for other people, just joined along. We went around the square and heard a little concert, mini concert, and that was that. And for those that were there on that day, Palm Sunday may have been just like that. A group of people cheering on their leader, Sure, let's join in, be part of the party, and then on our way. It may have been larger, but Luke emphasizes the insider nature of it. A parade where only those who cared even began to get it. Now, what follows, and I was interested in this with with Luke, what follows immediately after this, after Jesus has the encounter with the uh, teachers, the Pharisees, he weeps over Jerusalem. And he came near and saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if if even you had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. And he goes on to foresee the day when it will be destroyed. In 70 AD, that happens. A sense that it has missed its opportunity. Even in this happy, joyful day, there's that hint that something hard will follow. My next step on the investigation was Isaiah. And I looked at the assigned reading we had, and this is what's called one of the servant songs. There are four of them in Isaiah. This happens to be number three. And these poems or songs... The prophecy concerns a servant that will be summoned by God to lead the nations, a servant that will be abused, but the end will be rewarded. Christians have traditionally understood these songs to be about Jesus Christ, foreseeing His work among us. The third psalm is the darkest yet, one commentator had, had to say, and yet it's the most confident Of them all. Although the song gives a first person description of how the servant was beaten and abused, here the servant is described as both teacher and learner who follows the paths God places him on without pulling back, and his vindication is left in the hands of God. As we heard this morning, we heard phrases like, I gave my back to those who struck me in my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint. I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. You have the great joyful celebration of Palm Sunday, and yet I wonder if Jesus had these words in the back of his mind, knowing what was coming next. Imagine a group of friends are gathered together, and the adult daughter, she's married, of one of the ladies has wonderful news to share. She is expecting first child, great news, all are happy. But the grandmother-to-be, the mother of this young woman, there's something about her smile that's quite different. She knows her daughter has health issues, and she's wondering, can the baby be carried to term? She's wondering, can my daughter survive? And if so, how long? In the midst of the joyful celebration, the mother knows that a tough road lies ahead. Was Jesus in such a situation? He knew what was coming. I looked next to Philippians. Did not have it read this morning. I'll read it to you now. This is the passage that the lectionary adds. Picking up in the second chapter in the verse 5, Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Some scholars believe this was actually one of the earliest hymns in the Christian church, one that they would have sung in their gatherings. Jesus set aside for a season his divine prerogatives, his divine rights, as he became fully human and was obedient even to the point of the most humiliating form of death. Not even a beheading, but the kind of death that was reserved for the lowest of the low. And yet, he would then be exalted and lifted up And at one day, every knee would bow and every tongue confess Jesus as Lord. There is happiness in this parade and there is sorrow of the cross and there is purpose in the actions. About an hour ago, we were in Sunday school. Actually, we're wrapping it up an hour ago. But one of the pieces that we covered as we talked about hope is that we made a reference to the Faith Hall of Fame. We found in Hebrews 11, you may have heard that before, where one person after another has had a triumph. Something has gone right. They have suffered, but they have been vindicated. But then follows a section where it says others did not get it in this life. They lost their lives. They suffered. There was no happy ending on this side of eternity. And yet they are also part of that hall of fame. And then we pick up in in chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those who who saw their triumph in this life and those who did not, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy set before him he endured What followed? How would I respond to that young man today? Well, one thing, I'd want to talk with him some more and learn more of his story, Um, things that he had seen, experienced, what he did know of his faith, just to understand, kind of get his perspective from where he was coming. And then I would review what we talked about to date. I might even share a humorous story with him about another parade. The story goes of this farm boy. Didn't get off the farm too much, but he'd seen a news, uh, newspaper or a, someone was put up that a circus was coming to town, and he'd never been to the circus before. He asked his father if he could go, and his father gave him the money. And so he went to town. He went to the train where they were disembarking, and he saw the elephants and the lions and the tigers and the bears. Oh my! He saw acrobats doing tricks and he saw clowns playing tr- playing um, gags on one another. And on and on they went in their parade, and they went into the circus tent, but he just thought it was a tent. And so after he saw everything he had to see as they entered, he thought to himself, well, now I've seen a circus. Time to go back to the farm. He had missed the whole picture. For us, we can look at the glories of Palm Sunday, and these are some of the biggest palms I think I've ever seen, maybe in the history of First Presbyterian. Hope this is Mark, for those of you all watching it. I hope you get a good camera angle. We have this great joyful bit and the children once again parading. And then next Sunday, there are gonna be more Easter lilies here than you could imagine. And we're gonna hear the hallelujah chorus. We've been promised that and they will deliver. And if you just see one joyful event to one joyful event, you miss what happened in between. And maybe that young man, I mean, that's just it. He had not seen what is in between whether you come literally to our Maundy Thursday service on Thursday or not, in your mind at least, go to Monday Thursday on that day. And on Good Friday, go to Golgotha. Service and sacrifice and suffering all have a part in this larger story. And truth be told, for some of these incidents that happen, we will not get our answers, all of them, on this side of eternity. Hebrews 11, the full story tells us that yes, there were triumphs, and yes, there were tragedies. To tell the young man that there's more to the Christian faith than just get your best life now, there's more to it than that there's a larger story of what Christ has done. To tell him that the pathway of the parade has rough places, dark spaces, and tough cases. But to remind them, even in the midst of his struggles, that the final word will be is joy. And that is something that we can celebrate as we sing you know, all glory, Lord, and honor to the Redeemer King. And as we follow this message with our sacred head now wounded, for joy will be the final word. Amen.